Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle beat writer Susan Slesser, and today we have a special guest, A's Vice President of Baseball Operations, Billy Bean, joins us to discuss the A's surprisingly good first half and what he and the rest of the front office might be doing to improve things for the second half. And on the Player's Choice segment, we have left-hander Brett Anderson, a longtime advocate for animals and pet lover. He's joining us to talk about his love in particular of cats. Today on the A's Plus podcast of the San Francisco Chronicle, we are delighted to welcome in Billy Bean, the A's Vice President of Baseball Operations, uh, who is now in his 21st season. Is that right, Billy, with a, kind of running the show there? Uh, yeah, 21. It's uh, hard to believe, but yeah, 21 years. I look back and uh, all I've done is uh, get a lot of gray hair in the process, but I guess that's a good sign. The fact that uh, I can see that process and still have a job is a good thing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just the gray hair, nothing else. No no uh, books or movies or playoff appearances, nothing. No, nothing, <laughs> nothing notable. There you go. Yeah, right. Uh, but no, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and each year is unique in its own right. And this year certainly, uh, you know, has its place certainly in my uh, in my mind as to where it uh, where it rates. Uh, you know, given the expectations and the way the club has played the first half. Well, yeah, that's. A, I kind of wanted to jump in right away talking about this year's team. Um, Thirteen games over five hundred at the break. Uh, what is your reaction to how well the team is playing, particularly here in the last month, where Oakland has the best record in the in the majors over that stretch? Hey, listen, I'd be you know lying if uh, I said I wasn't a little surprised. I mean, listen, we, we we feel good about some of the young talent on this team. I think we've spoken about that, but I think really why I was so surprised is I would say there's two probably road trips, one of them being the most recent one, where we went to Cleveland, Houston, then we finished up here in San Francisco. And then uh, the one before where we went into, uh, where we ended in Toronto, where we had the Yankees, I believe it was the Yankees, Red Sox, and, and Toronto, I'm not sure exactly the order. And literally looking at it, it was two of the toughest road trips, I think, looking back on the time I've been, or two of the toughest road trips that I can recall. And I remember thinking, well, if we can pull out of here with, even like last road trip, like a four and six or something, given the competition, we'd be happy. And uh, the club has done so much more than that. And and really, especially this last road trip, even at the seven and three, there's kind of that what if game where, you know, that really freak play uh, that ended in Houston, we, we very well could have won eight and two. I mean, it was, it's really been an incredible run for these guys. So, but again, you know, and I know people have been writing this a little bit and I can say, I, somewhat agree a little bit is that it, it does have a little bit of a 2012 uh feel to it i think um you know i remember the one thing i enjoyed about that year and i it was bob no one really noticed us until september which was nice to sort of going about your own business and and then kind of sneak up on everybody in fact that team never uh finished a day in first place or excuse me yeah, they were never in first place the entire regular season and, and won that last day and that's how we won the division so uh this team is in many ways kind of feels the same way and i think uh, it's it's a it's a different group of guys but uh, uh certainly there's been a lot of you know i think parallels between up to this point we still got a long way to go and and really if you think about it to show how remarkable that 2012 team was, I believe, and you'll know Bobby better than I will, Susan. I think we're like on August 8th of 2012. We were 13 games out of That's first exactly place. That's exactly right. 13 games out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, which really t- 
tells you like how we did sneak up on everybody. You know, this one where we go into the break here, three games out of the wild card, and uh, and even listen, I think eight games out of Houston. And I, I personally happen to think Houston's a pretty special team. You know, uh, you know, I don't think saying that they're the best team, or certainly they're one of the best teams, is going out on a limb. So, you know, just being where we are, and you look at that run differential that they put up there, for us to only be eight games out, I think is pretty remarkable. So that's a long-winded way of saying it's been a fun first half. Yeah, the the comparisons with 2012, you and I were, were kind of chit-chatting about this the other day. It's interesting, that team in 2012 had a lot of color, a lot of uh, kind of fun characters. This team is notable for me, almost, it's so professional, it's so uh, business-like, uh, and despite how young it is, is that, I mean, have you kind of noticed that this team seems very methodical um, and, it, you know, it just going about the business every day? No, you're exactly right, Susan. And quite frankly, you're around them more than I am. So uh, you've probably got a better read than even I do because you're 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 there every single game right after the game. Uh, but uh, but you know, I hate to say this, is they're very Giants-like in those <laughs> World Championship teams. But now I say that with a tremendous amount of respect uh, for the group that the Giants, the core group of players, the Buster Poseys, the Crawfords, the Belts, and. You know, some of the guys are still there. There was one thing, even from the outside looking at that team, there was, even when they were young, uh, it was, there was just a real professionalism. It wasn't a too high, a too low. And uh, it was something I, I certainly admired. I know the rest of baseball. And being on the inside, this group kind of reminds me of, uh, of them a little bit. And I, I think that's the ultimate compliment. And uh, they are very different. That 2012 team, as you said, Susan, was a very, very, colorful team uh lots of personalities uh and quite even the way we won games uh, really was not methodical it, it was done with a lot of uh, end of the game heroics i think we had so many walk-offs we had you know the bernie lean we had uh you know that was the pie you know in the face uh routine after the game again this team has been surgically methodically slamming shut games at the end of the game uh there's not a ton of sort of walk-off excitement come from behind miracles it's again been very very workmanlike and and it, i think it does reflect the personality of the team despite its youth they are very very professional yeah it's, a, it's sort of a jed lowry team just going routine oriented and you know going to do things the right way and i know you, you've talked a lot about the fact that he the jed i know he's been a guy that you've, you've obviously acquired twice now uh and he's uh as someone that the younger players really look up to i think they've kind of taken after him in some ways yeah you know you, you said you know jed i think has been an underappreciated guy you know uh not just nationally but uh, locally as well and uh, this guy's put up some really good years for us. And uh, if you look at uh, you know, his last two years, particularly making the all-star team, which was well-deserved, and you look at him last year, he was arguing this side of Altuve was the best second baseman in baseball. And uh, when you look at everything, and he's followed it up this year with another great, great year. And as you said, Susan, I mean, you know, listen, anyone knows Jed, you know, he sort of fits the profile. He's a, he's a Stanford grad. He's uh, he's a very intelligent, very bright, very well thought out uh, everything he does is very well thought out and uh understands his body understands you know what he has to do to do things right he is a good mentor for these guys and and the great thing about jed recently is that when he first came up he had a number of injuries that kind of uh sidetracked him a little bit but the last couple of years he's been a, a real uh you know durable guy and as a result you've seen the production that he can put up and, and again i do think that the guys on the team you know, do look to a guy like Jed, uh, but Jed, not only Jed, but a guy like Chris Davis too, who, uh, like 
Chad has been out there just about every single day. And, and, you know, we have good veterans on this team. Uh, and, and that's not always the case. People assume just because the guy's a veteran player that he's good for young players. I can tell you that isn't the case. Uh, these guys are good. And I think the young players, again, they looked him and, and, uh, and I think the leadership's been outstanding from not just Jed, but, uh, I go to Chris as well. Yeah, Lucroy seems like he was, especially considering when you were able to get him, with spring training already going uh, and in a position you wound up having sort of an unexpected need, he's really been a nice kind of calming influence, especially with a rotation that has more than its share of flux. What are your impressions, been of, of what Lucroy has, has given you? So John, you know, well, first, similar to what I just said about Judd and Chris, but John, Jonathan brings a uh, – real intensity to the position which is needed a real focus and a real sort of sense of pride in feeling like he's part of the process and feeling like like listen it is his responsibility to get these young guys uh you know through some of the young pitchers and and we've had so much uh so many changes in the rotation uh, that we've needed his leadership and and like chris like jack he wants to play every day despite the fact that he's a catcher and and, and Jonathan's in great, absolutely. All the things you hear about a catcher that sometimes, you know, I kind of, you know, kind of raise, uh, roll my eyes a little bit. Uh, <laughs> with Jonathan, you don't. All the things, the leadership and the uh, tutelage, the guidance, are, are all there. He's the real deal when it comes to that. And uh, again, I listen. I think he, you know him coming on board is also uh, one of the reasons we're we're doing what we're doing. And and really, look at Bob. And Emo, I mean, we lose, I mean, you know again better than I do because you have to write about it every day. There were four or five starters in the DL at one time, and it, and it was a position that we were worried about coming in. And to get through, you know, uh, this injury period and to, and to get this group to be as successful as they have is, is I think, a lot of, again, a lot of credit needs to go to, uh, to Luke. And, uh, again, we're happy to have him. What has been the challenge of trying to cobble together a rotation with all, you know, before you even left spring training, Jarrell Cotton and A.J. Puck, you knew were going to be out for the season. And I mean, could you have imagined uh, at, one, at any point that you would have Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson back and then Edwin Jackson, who's sort of been everywhere in his career now? Yeah, Edwin's been unbelievable, too. It's uh, And, you know, he's been around so long, and people forget he's only 32 years old. So, uh, you know, he's like a year or two older than Trevor, who still seems like a young guy. Uh, but but it's just I think again a credit to Edwin getting up to the big leagues at 19 20 years old, but he's been outstanding in, in all of his starts and, and it's been a godsend for us particularly with the, the void we had with the injuries. But yeah no I we didn't see I mean we kept in touch with Trevor all winter you know and uh, it was funny I I saw Brett uh, the, the Brett transaction happened actually in spring training I was working out in Phoenix at a at a health club that Brett works out and we kind of bumped into each other and then one thing led to another and then that, the next thing you know we were signing him so uh and again we've we've needed him and we've needed every able body we can get and uh then and this time of year too you know and I'm sure you're going to bring it up a little bit with a trade deadline this time of year everybody who's in the uh race or feel like they're in the race there's always looking for some form of starting pitching uh looking at the market this year it's not a real robust group and so with every team needing it and the fact that it isn't a particularly great, I say, you know, great group, there's certainly some guys who are very talented, but not the, there isn't the quantity maybe that you might have had in years past. And you're probably going to have a significant cost come with the acquisition and probably a cost that's probably beyond the value. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, not just us, but how teams approach the starting pitching market when it comes to addressing a need that everyone's probably going to have. 
That's funny. I, I was, you're answering questions before I even get a chance to, to ask them. But yeah, of course, that was on my list was what you're looking at. And um, starting pitching, given the, the fact that you've had so many injuries, you do now have guys coming back from injuries. And I'm assuming that especially with, you know, somebody like Daniel Mengden has now been optioned back to Nashville. That's a, in, in the interests uh, of, I'm assuming, hanging on to all your assets because you do need so much starting pitching depth has been, you know, at one point I think there were six starters on your DL at the same time. Yeah, no, it is important. In fact, you know, there's times where, you know, maybe a guy might have been struggling in the rotation and, and uh, you know, you, you talk about, hey, should we move him out and bring this guy up? But one of the things we do even early on, we talk about, I said, listen, we need to preserve as many potential starting pitching options as we can. And it's a good thing we did. Because at least we had somebody, you know, to, to come in and, and fill a spot. But, uh, but you know, you mentioned Daniel, too. I mean, Daniel's a very talented guy. He actually got, was pitching really, really well there at one point during the season and then uh, kind of had a little bit of a hiccup and then got a little bit nicked up. So we're hoping that Daniel, he goes down and, and gets back and pitches to the level he's capable of because he would be like an acquisition. Having him jump into that rotation and pitch like he can would be, you know, uh, kind of like acquiring a guy so uh you know we'll see and and you know the other thing we had a four-day break too so some of these guys uh who've had time off that, that you have the ability to send them down and get some more playing time and you know you do that you see a lot of transactions during the all-star break that may not look necessarily like they make sense but uh because of the four days and because of the 10-day DL there's a lot more flexibility in how you move guys up and down at least this time of year so what happens before the all-star break that doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's going to be right after the all-star break now with a you talk about the starting pitching market maybe not necessarily being uh, quite robust is it can you even consider like whether you would have an interest in acquiring somebody that you would have beyond this year or is it just that you're looking at it and saying what's even out there that we can realistically get at this point yeah i think the the second i think the first thing you if you say hey we have a starting pitching need how do we uh, or we, we could use some help there how do you address it well, there's two ways number one you look at the current guys available and then in some cases if you want to be very aggressive you may try and pry a guy that you specifically target that isn't necessarily out there and maybe overpay for him with the idea that he'd probably be there for a couple of years that's another way of doing it and another way of doing it is taking a at least a little more dynamic approach and saying all right uh, you know as an example we say we think the uh, uh, the reliever market may be better and uh, we might be getting more value maybe we attack this from the other side and try and shorten the game with what we have because we think we're getting more, you know, a better acquisition, a better player for what we're giving up in the relief market. And there may be more options. And the other thing you have to look at too is we're sitting here in July, uh, what, 16th, 17th of week, you know, this week. And if you can get to August, you also have the expansion of rosters. So um, you can actually take a very different approach to uh, your pitching staff. I mean, you can have 17, 18 guys in your staff and kind of split the game up with much in much shorter segments with a lot, uh, you know, a lot of different guys, similar to what some of these teams are doing, the Tampas, and I think the Dodgers did a little bit last year, and and limit the exposure of starters. So there's just a lot of ways of looking at. It. I think to look at it in a very linear fashion and say, hey, we need a starter. This guy's available. What's it going to cost? I think you're probably going to find yourself frustrated. You're going to find yourself uh, in a competition that you don't want to overpay. And, and so we're trying to take, a, again, a more dynamic approach and a, a much 
uh, you know, multi-viewing way of, of approaching it. I said, there's, there's even, I mean, this isn't necessarily how we're looking at it, but and there's, you know, this is a zero sum game. So if you're, you know, if your pitching's bad, you know, what can you do to make it better? Do you catch the ball? Do you score more runs? And, and again, that's the way I think we have to look at it, given the state of the starting pitching that is on the market. Yeah, I think in t- today's paper, I, I think I actually even mentioned something that the, the go-to move for this for you guys this year seems has been like three plus or four plus for your starting pitcher a lot of times and then the bullpen takes over which means that Yusmero Petit has really been and, and Emilio Pagan a few others but Petit in particular has been um, such a valuable asset because he's allowed you to despite all the starting pitching injuries and some potentially some ineffectiveness early in games uh, to continue contending. What, what have your impressions been of him? And well, we talk a lot about the back end, but the middle relievers, uh, and you've been, it's been a little mix and match there, but for the, a large part of the season, that's kind of been the, the MO. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons, you know, uh, Petit was one of the guys that we went after, but was because he could do exactly what he did the other night in the game. And, uh, you know, a multi inning guy that can sort of bridge to uh, your better guys at the end. So, uh, that one worked out perfectly, and and the fact that Bob could throw a guy for two and two thirds innings, and then quite frankly having him available potentially the next day was pretty incredible. So uh, uh, again, the way teams are looking at pitching staffs a little bit different these days. And I said you've seen some experimentation throughout the league. Uh, one of the things about last year, I say last year, the beginning of the year, we and one of the reasons we tra- uh, tried to change the makeup of the bullpen, we had some very good pitchers last year in the bullpen when we started but they were very limited in terms of how far they could go and uh we wanted to make we wanted to change up and give bob a little more uh versatility with those guys and even if you look at a guy like trinan he's thrown multiple games where he's got uh, more than one inning which is not the norm for a closer which is why i think he's been so valuable even beyond the obvious the saves and why you know he's a deserving all-star is that He's been more than a one-inning guy when needed. And same with uh, Trevino. And, and that's really, I think, has given Bob so much more flexibility and has really been an asset for us team-wise. And I think as we go forward, that's the type of guy we want. And, and it's not just us. Other teams are like that too. But uh, having a one-inning guy is uh, very limiting no matter how good he is. And, uh, uh, again, you know, as we, we build forward and, and, and we look at the deadline, you know, having guys, again, to shorten that game on the starter is, uh, is, is one way we're, we're going to approach it. Well, I have to say it's so much more fun talking to you about um, a deadline in which you are looking to acquire rather than potentially moving guys. Um, that's probably got to be fun for you, too. But how do you weigh maybe making a move or two before the deadline uh, with the you know the, the rebuild that's still sort of ongoing and you, you stocked up the minor league system over the last few years with the midseason deals, I'm assuming you don't want to trade you know some of the the key pieces from those deals that you've made the last few years to acquire anything this year. Uh, yeah, well, it's, you kind of have to thread the needle a little bit. That being said, I mean you know listen, uh, I don't want to all of a sudden be in a permanent rebuild either. I mean if in this game, I think. Uh, I've said this is that the players have, in some respect, have put it in our lap. That being the front office and and ownership, and they've they said, hey, you know, we've proven that we're we're a contender uh, based on where we are, and uh, and now it's our job to go out there, in my opinion, to assist them because as much as these young players want to keep their fellows around who are below them and they're going to help in the future, 
you know, the guys like Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and Pender, they've been here, you know, not a long time, but now that they're up here and they've tasted winning, they want to win. And uh, I do think in sports, you know, to kick the can down the road, kick the opportunity down the road, I guess, I've never taken that approach. If, if, if you got a chance to win in sports, you go for it. And one thing I, I'm always proud of here in Oakland in the 21 years, you know, even though we've had a lot of turnover, more than most, I don't ever feel like we've been in this perpetual rebuild where, like, when's it going to come? I think we've been very uh, – we've uh, taken a direction and we've had results pretty quickly. And we haven't had real long gaps uh, where, you know, we're constantly drafting in the top five. I mean, uh, it's it's something we're very, very proud of that we're able to get to competitive level very quickly. And when you're there, I, I think you should view it as an opportunity, not as a burden. As it relates to giving up young players, that's always going to be the challenge as to, you know, how much you give up given where you are as a team. Listen, the fact is we're still three games back of the wild card. Okay. If you're three games up or five games up, you might take a different approach. But I, I do think the play of the team, uh, warrants us doing everything we can to, to make them better for the second half. Now, Taking a look at the, the longer-term view, though, you, you've, you've been uh, very vocal in the last year or two about talking about the fact that you would like to wrap up some of the, the younger players, in particular Chapman's, Olson's, part of this young core, to long-term deals. Uh, now, you have a, uh, a policy, I'm going to say in advance because I know you'll say it anyway, <laughs> of not talking about contract matters, specific contract matters, but what are the challenges involved, um, particularly in the current day and the market and all of that, with getting something like that done? Because I do know that has been something that you, you prioritize, prioritized and yet nothing has happened yet. Yeah, no, you're, uh, you're right. I'm listening. And, and there are uh, a few players, young players in this team that uh, are worthy of that, uh, that conversation. But I think, you know, also today's player, it's a little different. When we, I remember when we first started back when I, when I was young, I had no gray hair. And uh, one of the reasons we were very successful for a long period of time is the Giambis, the Tadas, Chavez, Hudson, Boulder, Zitos. We were able to get those cost control over a certain amount of time. But at that time, it was basically through the arbitration years. Uh, and what you have, what you have now is that, you know, most of the long-term deals for young players, the few that are out there, and, and understand, there's been a lot of clubs that have tried to do this, but recently there's been very, very few young players signed. So, uh, but for a club standpoint, uh, getting years beyond the arbitration has been the goal. Uh, uh, and uh, and but lately, again, if you really go back and look, there's been very few young players that have signed. So. Uh, you know, listen, I think young players are very mature. There's a, a very confident athlete out there in Major League Baseball right now. And uh, and for us, you know, for us, listen, long term, with the new stadium, there's players on this team we'd like to play in it. Whether or not, you know, we're going to be able to get it done, uh, we'll see. But certainly the the effort will be there. And uh, I think a financial commitment would be there as well. Uh, but that's a two-way street, too. I think the player has to want to be here. And it's up to us to, you know, create an environment that makes them want to stay here beyond just the finances. And I think that's going to be a factor here going forward with some of the young players you're probably thinking of. Yeah, that's uh, talking to some agents. That's it seems like the theory is that you want your players to be younger now when they hit the free agent market rather than older, because the the older guys seem to be be the ones having trouble finding decent deals. No, that's a fair point. Yeah, listen, you got to look at it from the players and the agents standpoint. Uh, Is you're exactly right. The best free agent contracts were signed by players if you look at them historically somewhere between the ages of 20 
you know, 25 and 28, 29 years old. And, you know, being in that kind of no man's land, at least last couple of years where you're in your early thirties, that's a tough spot to be. At least it looks like it has been safe for a few players. So, yeah, that's certainly been written about and uh, I can certainly understand from, from their end. Uh, but, uh, you know, the good thing is, is we got a few players here. We don't have to worry about it for a while yet because they're so good and so young that uh, we still got a few years to work on it. But again, there's some things that we need to do as an organization, uh, you know, to create uh, a, a place that they want to be. You know, one of that is uh, making some progress on a new stadium. And, um, yeah, you know, and that's going to be important for some of these young guys. Not just because it brings them more revenues, but it also because it, it's a better place to play, and and we need that. So I'm sure they're going to be keeping an eye on that search. Now, uh, I've again knowing that you don't speak specific about specific contract details, but uh, I've written in the last couple of weeks about the potential for a multi-year extension for Chris Davis. Uh, I know Ken Rosenthal mentioned Jed Lowry as a possibility. Without talking about specific uh, guys, the fact that um, you know maybe the younger guys might be hard to wrap up. Is there a possibility that maybe some of the older contributors could be the ones that maybe you look at it as possibilities for contract extensions? Well, you know what? The, the great thing about, uh, again, I won't talk too specifically, but I, but I also will, uh, you know, and uh, the, uh, you know, the great thing about winning is it creates a really great environment for a lot of things to happen. You know, what you just mentioned in terms of signing veteran players, if we weren't winning, nobody would even be discussing that. Uh, again, this is all a, a part of the good, you know, the feel good about, about winning. And, and the, some of the veteran players that you just mentioned are one of the major reasons why we're winning. And, uh, and so we, uh, for me, from a baseball operations standpoint, uh, listen, uh, we're a better team with them. And, uh, and, and it's something, again, it all comes with winning. I don't think it's something we would consider if we weren't winning like we were, but we are. So uh, I think everything's all options are on the table, particularly as it relates to contributors. And in one guy's case, he's done some things historically here from a power standpoint that uh, it makes it very, very difficult to replace. And given the fact he's also a really good guy, a consistent guy who plays every day, you know. Uh, so uh, I can just tell you from our end, these are the, the, what you're talking about, things that we have talked internally about and, and hopefully we can explore and, uh, and, and uh, you know, keep them and other guys, not just young players, but maybe some of these good veterans around for a long, long time. Well, I'd be ris- remiss if I didn't ask um, also about your own contract situation. As I mentioned uh, in a story a few weeks ago, you, David Forrest, Bob Melvin, all, all three of you are only signed through next year, which is unusual given the uh, the history of the of the team and the the way the team has approached uh, leadership, uh, long term leadership contracts is that, uh, I, and I know when I talked to you for that story, you essentially said I don't talk about anyone's contract <laughs> status, including my own. But is that is there any concern there with the the leadership also sort of being a a little bit uh, in limbo beyond next year? Yeah, well, let's see. Also, you got to assume that uh, it's that's a uh, you know sort of a bilateral agreement too. I mean, I. The short answer is no, and I feel fortunate that I can say that. But I'm going to speak for myself, uh, number one. Uh, what I will say about uh, the other guys that you mentioned, in Bob Case and Davis Case, he says that these guys are not just well thought of here, but they're well thought of for the industry. So, um, again, I, I don't want to speak for them in their, any level of concern, but I know they're they're very happy here, but they're also very self-assured in what they can provide for for major league baseball uh myself uh i feel the same way and 
quite frankly, the fact that, uh, you know, I've never been in this position, I think is, uh, is a good thing. And, and some of it's by choice as well. So, uh, we won't, uh, have to worry about this again for a year and a half as it stands anyways. And that's not always the case. And I think it's really a reflection on how I've been treated, uh, through the years of the organization. The idea that someone would have a year and a half and you'd be talking about it as if it's some level of concern really is a credit to some of my past uh, owners that uh, I've been proud to work for and and uh, and I continue to be proud to work for the current one right now but it's certainly not something there's any anxiety from my end and I guess that's uh, I'm feel fortunate that that's the case now um, since it's the all-star break uh, and the futures game was yesterday uh, Jesus Lizardo obviously was started the game for the world team uh, before I let you go I'm just wondering about September call-ups and especially Lizardo is he somebody that we could see Maybe he's in double A now, so I know it would be a little bit of a stretch. But is there any chance we might see him in September, depending on what you guys are or aren't doing at that point of the season? Well, I, I, I certainly hope not. And I say that really, the reason I say that is because uh, this kid's come so far in one year. You remember he was off Tommy John last year when, he, when we traded for him. And he, was started, he actually started in the Arizona League. Uh, so if you think about a kid starting in the Arizona League and uh, – now you're asking the question whether or not he would uh, get called up. That's pretty amazing. I think it's a testament to his talent. But what, with, with Tommy John also comes a, a responsibility for us to keep an eye on his workload as well, particularly you're off Tommy John. So, uh, listen, that would be a long way for the kid to uh, go. And, and I think more anything we're going to be monitoring between now and the end of the year is how many innings he's going to actually throw. If you've noticed over the first half of the season, He's basically th- he threw one uh, game where he threw six because his pitch count was so low. But by and large, we've been limiting him to five innings per, per start in an effort to be able to pitch him through a lot of the season. But uh, he will at some point be butting up against what we think is the innings limit. So, uh, uh, you know, the innings limit is going to be the thing we're going to respect the most as it relates to his career. And we'll just have to see how it, where we are at the end of, uh, end of the minor league season. Yeah, I think that one of the more interesting things about your team this year is as well as you're doing and as exciting as the current club is, you have more coming, especially in the pitching level. They're an awful – Lizardo's probably at the top of the heap, but they're an awful lot more and. um uh, I think that's going to be fun for people to take a look at. Now, uh, bef- the very last question, since the World Cup has just concluded, I cannot <laughs> let you get away without asking uh, what your thoughts were on the World Cup. Well, I did have France in the final. In my, in our, We had an internal pool at the draft every four years, and that's the great thing about the continuity of the organization is that we literally get to have a World Cup pool every four years and the same guys are basically here <laughs> and so uh in the world cup pool i had france okay wow. unfortunately i had germany beating them <laughs> so uh but i thought it was an amazing world cup and uh it was you know listen anytime england goes as far as they did let's face it uh nobody's it's it that's where the, the game was invented and that's where the most noise and the, you know, the, uh, the most interesting narrative comes from is from the British press. So the idea that England would, would get through two knockout stages and get to the semifinals, uh, I think also helps a lot because listen, no matter what, it's, it's not the biggest country in the world, but when it comes to football, it, uh, it has a huge, uh, uh footprint, uh, particularly from a media standpoint. So I thought it was great that they're involved with that. The other side of the bracket was, pretty tough i mean you could make the argument that belgium uruguay and france and um uh, who am i missing uh, uh brazil 
were arguably, you know, the four best teams in the world, and they're, you know, knocking each other out. So, uh, but I thought it was a great, a great stage. I, I, I mean, it's kind of, kind of a bummer that it's over because I think everyone got used to, particularly in the group stages, getting a couple games, a, a, a couple matches a day, uh, and and now that it's over. But uh, in the end, I think ultimately France was a deserved winner, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, I think uh, we're one of the favorites going in and proved why they were. Well, excellent. Yeah, it was very, very enjoyable. And it, as has been this conversation, Billy, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy your break, and uh, maybe we can talk to you again uh, sometime near the end of the season. Thanks for joining us on Ace Plus. As well. Thanks, Susan. Take care. We welcome Brett Anderson, the former and now again A's left-handed starter to the Players' Choice segment. Uh, Brett, I know you and I share a deep interest in animals. Uh, how, how did that start for you and, and uh, wh- what are you kind of involved with? Um, started just growing up. My mom was a vet technician and so it kind of started there and uh, we always either had like uh, foster animals or uh, you know kind of rescue animals or off-the-wall breeds of dogs and cats growing up and so we either had like I said rescue cats or Rhodesian Ridgebacks or Savannah cats or Maine Coons or uh, greater Swiss mountain dogs and stuff like that so it's either you know like I said rescues or kind of off the wall off the beaten path animals and uh, that's kind of where my affinity for uh, for animals started and then it's uh, transitioned into me being older and we have uh, four rescue cats at home and so I'm I'm one of the anomalies I'm a kind of a weird cat person because cats are kind of like me they're kind of if I can say that. And so uh, you have to work for their affection where dogs, they come and love you regardless. Where cats, you kind of have to work for it. And so I, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I can see I'm also a cat person, and I also have four cats. So maybe this is, explains why I, I like you. Um, what, what are your cats' names? Uh, Cody, um, uh, Mara, uh, Ace, and Nuke. And Otto, uh, no, no, Otto. Uh, Otto. Cody was Cody was my mom's Maine Coon, and we have one that kind of looks like he's a Maine Coon-ish. Probably has part. He's a rescue, but he kind of looks Maine Coonish. And ours is Otto. My mom's Cody, so I get uh, mixed up. Maine Coons are the best. I, I'm assuming tons of personality. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're great. They're my mom's like stand on their back leg and probably come up to my hip. They're huge, and then uh, she has two uh, F5 Savannah cats, and those things are crazy athletic. And then she has. I think they have three rescues, so they're kind of all over the spectrum. So, uh, yeah, we're a bunch of cats, a bunch of dogs in the Anderson family. Uh, Savannah cats are like a mix, right? With the gut- part, part serval, um, but they they go in like levels. Like F1 is like the closest to a serval, and F5 is the furthest away. So it's the closest you can get to a house cat. But they look like small cheetahs. They have the spots, and they're they're crazy athletic. They're a little they're smaller than the average, but they're like they look like tiny cheetahs. But they're crazy athletic, and they're they're fun to be a part of because they. They, my mom has the Rhodesian Ridgeback now, and then a French Bulldog. But these two Savannah cats just run these two dogs, and they're two, they're small, but they, they, they run the roost for sure. Uh, what are their personalities like? Are they a little on the wild side? Yeah, um, for the most part, they're they're pretty domesticated, but they'll get a wild hair, and they'll they they're just so much more athletic than any of the other cats that are Maine Coons or anything. They can they can bounce off the walls, but uh, they'll get a wild hair, and you can kind of see the the wild cat come out of them and come out of them a little bit. So they're uh, they're fun to watch. Amazing. Uh, now I know on Twitter you're pretty active in things about you know involving animals. Are you are you involved otherwise? I mean, obviously you've got rescues, which is is probably about as uh, as good a job as anybody can do when it comes to animal rights. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, have, I don't have my own charity. That's kind of one, you know, one of the goals in the future. But uh, yeah, just just donate to you know the local humane societies and things like that. And you know, I'll go in every off season and and pay for the uh, the adoption fees for all the cats and dogs there and kind of you know anonymously, which I guess isn't anonymous anymore. But um, <laughs> one of the they all go that I'll do that probably once or twice in off season just. You know, because over the holidays and stuff, the animals kind of sit there for a while, you know, with stuff going on, so I'll do that. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, like I said, people are kind of whatever sometimes, and so I like animals, and so because they don't have any choices over certain things, and so I'd, uh, yeah, when in doubt, I'd rather hang out with a cat or dog for the most part. Yeah, you and me both. Brett Anderson, thanks for joining us on Player's Choice. It's been one of my favorite ones ever. Thank you. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Mm-hmm.